like a diabetes joke right there, huh? Is that what that is? I just, I just showed somebody, Jake in the back, my blood sugar kind of adrenaline gets pumping and uh, it goes, it keeps going up until I'm done. So welcome to my, to my life. Uh, good morning. Hey, in a minute, I'm going to, yeah. Oh yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Good morning. Yeah. In a, in a minute, uh, I'm going to pause. We're going to, we're going we're gonna to pray. Uh, but first I also want to let you know a special announcement. This is going to be coming on the, on the website, uh, probably around Tuesday. We'll get you more info, but I just want to let you know on March 2nd, Saturday, March 2nd, is uh, we're going to be partnering with our sister church in Champaign, Illinois, with Align on Life there, which we, Cornerstone, are a church plant out of that church. That's where I went to school. ILL! Yeah, there, wait, there's way too many of you doing that. What did, ah, yes, you go, right? That's what you should be doing. But, um, but that was... That was, that's my alma mater, and so we'll be partnering with that church um, and doing an evangelism seminar. Uh, so it'll be pretty much a full-day event, um, and we'll give you more details uh, on the website. But if you want to know more about God's heart for people and theology of evangelism, um, how, how to share your faith, like how to even start spiritual conversations, um, it'll be a mix of a lot of a, a large mix of um, information and and then practicing as well. And so, if that kind of is right up kind of your alley, and you want to do that with us, more details to come. Uh, but on March second, Saturday, reserve that uh, for us. Um, do you do you guys remember Cheesecake Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> and those were good times, weren't they? They were so good, so good. Do you guys remember when Kurt came up and waved an, an imaginary flag with me? Do you guys remember that? So those of you who were, you don't, that was, um, we were like, we were like in sync. We were like pretty much one. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Right there, right there. There it is. If there was an imaginary flag-waving competition, Kurt and I probably would have gotten gold. Probably would have gotten gold. Kurt, where are you? Come on up, Kurt. Come on up, Kurt. Come on up, buddy. Come on. Okay. We've got some music for this, too. Kurt, stand here. Arms folded. Face the people. Yeah. Now put, put, here you go. Me, me too, me too, me too, me too. Awesome! Oh, man, thanks, Kurt. You can sit down. That was, I mean, what, you guys remember, that was amazing. We just had to take a, sometimes in life you just need to take a step back, you need to pause. You got to celebrate awesomeness, okay? And what Kurt did and what I did, that was just, what we done was amazing, okay? All right. Um, but we, we want to meddle in life, right? Do you guys ever dream, I mean, do you ever think about like how cool it would be to go to the Olympics? 
Do you guys read the story about that woman skier from, I, she just said she's going to be a part of a country. I don't even know what country it was. And, and because there were no rules, she got into the Olympics just because she wanted to. Did you guys know that? And she skied the half pipe just by going like this. She got no points. But she was in the Olympics. This is crazy. It's like my wife watched that and thought, man, I should do that. What country would take me, right? Um, but we, exactly. <laughs> man, we want a medal in life. And I'll tell you, I, I've done a lot of, a lot of marriages where, where I, I stand and, and I look at this, you know, couple in love. And, and, uh, and I know not one couple when they think about the marriage that they want, not one couple has ever stood up there going, I give this about two weeks. But nobody does that. That kind of sounds sad, right? Anybody, right? Nobody does that. So life with Christ is this race. It's this, it's this marathon. It's, it's a long marathon where you are constantly having to choose, do, do I stay on track? Do I do it for my joy and for God's glory? Do I stay on track so that I can shine this big spotlight on, on a God who transforms me and saves me? Because I, I don't want to be disqualified. I want to win. I want to win. Would you guys pray with me? Kind of bring that heart to God. Lord, we just pause God, we just, I tell you new, freshly, again this morning, God, my heart is yours. Lord, with palms up, we come only as receivers. Lord, would you graciously open up your word and your heart to us that we may see our design and head in that direction of true north. So Lord, teach us about what active obedience looks like and what, is, what it means for us and for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have the scriptures, you can open it up. We're going we're gonna to look at this passage. I, I love this passage in 1 Corinthians 9 because what Paul does is he just picks up that, that kind of story of the race. And he says, uh, beginning in verse 24, he says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So do not run aimlessly. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Run in such a way to get the prize. In this passage, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and, and it's, you know, you, when you read the book of Corinthians, it is like the spring break church. <laughs> they are just out of control. Like it's church gone wild, right? And, and, and the question is, how do you live now that you have turned to Jesus? The question we're looking at is, how do you live in such a way that you show yourself to be that living sacrifice that we talked about? And so he uses this illustration of the athletic games. 
the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, he says it like this too. You see this reminiscence. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. NIV says perseverance. That's the way I learned it. The race that is set before us. So life with God is compared to this, you know, this marathon, it's this race. And so in a race, there's a starting line, right? Everybody, you got, you got to have a starting line, right? Sarah, am I right? They have starting lines in races, okay? I have to check with her. I'm, I, I'm a model, not a runner, okay? All right. So, and, and there's a finish line, right? Yeah. Okay, I still got it. And there's a path. There's a course, lanes, okay? Good. You guys get a picture of a race now? It's all coming together. And the race marked out for you is one of obedience to Christ. That's the race that God has set before you. It is one where you are constantly traveling, running in such a way that your life is marked by increasing holiness. That's the path God has me on. That's the path you are on if you are a Christ follower. In 1 Peter, in, in chapter 1, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. And you have to know this is not a suggestion. It's an imperative. It's a command. Be obedient to Jesus. Be, be holy in your conduct. Don't go back to what life was like, like you didn't know Jesus at all. And we see this too when Jesus, when he confronts, lovingly confronts the woman caught in adultery. In John chapter 8, it says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? See, there were a bunch of men ready to stone her because the law says if anybody's caught adultery, they should be stoned. And Jesus said, who use without sin be the first one to throw the first stone? And, and they all left. And so has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, listen, this is important. Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on. Sin no more. And Jesus here, he wasn't speaking about like sinless perfection that in your life you need to be perfect. Rather, he's warning us not to go back to sinful lifestyle choices and decisions so that we can stay on the path that God has marked out for us, which is one of increasing holiness. And, and the healing words to Jesus, they, they, they do two things. They both in that moment when he said, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. He it both extends mercy to her and he demands holiness. See, the pursuit of holiness, this trajectory of holiness, this is God's will for you. For this is the will of God. I, I've said this, I think, starting the year, right? We're always going, what is God's will for me? Like, I just want to know the will of God. Well, this, here, this is, here it is. This is the, you want to know what God's will is? This is it. Your sanctification. It just means being set apart. It's a, it's a word for looking at holiness, that God makes you more and more holy. And then he gets really specific, that you abstain for, from sexual immorality. God wants, he desires, this is the will of God, that you become holy, that you get on that trajectory, that path. You see, when our, when our 
rebelliousness, when your rebelliousness and, and your self-righteousness is confronted and you cry out for mercy from God, God floods your life with life and forgiveness through faith in Christ. But with that forgiveness comes the expectation that you will not continue down the same path of rebelliousness. I mean, Jesus said it this way in John 14. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If, if you love me, keep my commands. Do you love me? Then obey me. If you truly love me, do, do what I tell you to do. And those, those who know God's love, who have experienced new life, God gives us a desire to obey. Like you, you come into this profound sense of holiness and a righteous God, and you're like, I want you, Lord. I want to obey. We, we won't always obey, but God has us on this new direction of increasing holiness. And so the path that God has for you, the one that he's marked out for you, in the Christ followers race, Christ-like decisions, they bring about God's work of holiness in your life. Let me say that again. In the Christ followers race. In that race that God has set before you, making Christ-like decisions, they bring about God's work of holiness in your life. And so, but what about if you, if you haven't gone all in with Jesus? What about you? You're, you're sitting here and maybe, man, you're thinking like, I don't know, church, this is all new for me. <laughs> I don't know who Jesus is. Like, I, I just was invited here. What if you haven't gone all in for Jesus? What if you haven't surrendered your, your life to Christ? Well, what the scripture says is, is that you're still in your flesh. You're still in your flesh. There, there's, there's, you know, for many people in their flesh, they, they hope that they're good enough. Right, on my own, man, I, I hope that I'm good enough and, and that my apparent goodness is, is what will make me acceptable to God. And that was me. It was just a flat-out rejection of Jesus and the grace that he offers me. That people, if you, if you are still in your flesh or you can remember at that point when you were in, in the flesh, it is, it, you reject Jesus. You, you don't want him. You, you try to go around him. But the life mission of Jesus was to come and to seek and to save the lost. I mean, he came announcing that the, the, the message of the gospel of the kingdom is here. It was a message of repentance of sin. That idea of repentance is, you know, it's a turnaround. It's like a 180. It's a change of mind. It's like I'm headed in this direction and God stops me. I see him. I'm confronted with his holiness. It rearranges my life. And now, man, I'm headed on a new path. I'm going in a new direction. And what sin in our life, what it does, is it keeps us from experiencing God. It keeps us from really experiencing the reality of his goodness. We only want our own goodness. It keeps us, it's a blockade that keeps us from experiencing the love of God. Sin is that brokenness in life that causes you to do everything in your power to avoid God by either looking good enough like, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm not like that guy. I mean, I'm not a murderer. I mean, give me a break, God. I'm, I'm good enough. It causes you thinking, like, I can do, I can be approved of my own. Or, or, or what sin does is it 
it, it makes you fixate on how ter- terrible you think you are rather than fixating on Christ. And, and what we're talking about is just not the unpleasant emotions or, or decisions. The sin is, this, is, this, is true moral guilt. It, it's, it's moral guilt that cuts us off from God. And God looks at us and he holds us responsible for our sin. In, in the flesh, when we talk about being in the flesh, it's just a way to say that sin rules over you, not God. But without God, real, authentic life, the way that God designed it, it is, it's impossible. And Jesus came to face sin just head on. He never sidestepped the Father. He never went around. As, as true God, Jesus lived the righteous life that you and I could never live, we could never do. And in doing so, Jesus dealt a blow to sin. How? I want to illustrate this. Kurt, come back up here. <laughs> Sorry, Kurt. I need, um, and, and I need two other men on stage. Dude, just come up. Just one, two, one, two. Come on up here. Two other guys. Two other guys. One, two. Come on up here. Yeah, we got them. All right. Come on up here. Kurt. Stand. You guys come up here. All right. I want you guys. You're going to start in different places. Okay. You start here. Okay. Keep going. Go. And then, okay, you start here. Go ahead. Just watch these chords, guys. Watch these chords. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Is it? Keep going, keep going, just keep going. This is fun. Now, if you start feeling lightheaded, just stop and pause. You know, don't get dizzy. That's loud. I didn't realize how loud that would be. Can you concentrate on me talking, or is this too interesting? This is way too interesting, right? It's so interesting to me. Kurt, how are you feeling? Feeling fun. Okay, keep going. All right. Okay. You doing all right? We got to make sure we get... We get right there. We got to get right there. Yeah, we got to get right there. All right. So isn't this a fun illustration? I don't know what my brain thinks when I think about these things. Right there. Do you see that? See that? Dude, you got it. Come back, follow through. All right. That's good. That's good. All right. You guys are good. No, seriously. You can stop. You can stop. Cut it off right there. It's all good. All right. Ready? All right, you guys sit down. Kurt, join me here for a while. All right, thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. You feeling good? Yeah. No, I have five. No. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, the, the pen? Yeah. It's a strong smell. It's just, don't get it. Yeah. Okay. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this. Listen. For our sake, for us, he made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the, the great exchange. You, you see, the cross is this. It is the, it is the most amazing picture of the love of God. But it's also, it's also the horrific anger of God towards sin and social injustice. It's a message about the reconciling peace of God and the liberating joy of God for those who have Christ. Kurt, how are you doing in your sin? A little stuck. Perfect. We didn't rehearse this. I told Kurt to wear long sleeves. That's it. But many of us, what we've done, 
many of us, what we've done is we've looked at Jesus and we thought in this state, in this state, we thought, maybe if I just get close enough, maybe, 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 if I, maybe I can please him. Maybe if I'm just near him, I'll never have to submit to him. For you, God is a friend who can help me. God, I just need a little help. I'm good on my own, and you just come and help me. But we need to understand that, that, that both the pain of sin and the enormity of sin, we need to be rescued, not helped. In Jesus, God is a king who can save you. That's who he is. In sin, we, we look out in the world and we think, you know what's wrong with the world? We conclude, conclude that humanity is just ignorant. They're just... They're sick. There's got to be some cure, better government and better education. But the message of Jesus is that no, humanity is spiritually dead and lost. Can you get out of this? Not too hard. Yeah, okay. Try harder. All right. Right? We, we do that. We, we just go, man, I'm just having, I'm in this straitjacket. I cannot get out. We think, I just, you know what I need to do? I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I need to try harder. I need to be, I need to be gooder. I need to be better. I need to be, you know, more perfect. I need to, I need to do these things. And many people think they just need to clean up their life before they come to God. That they're, I'm not good enough for him. That somehow you need to do the right things in order to be accepted. But that's not what the cross is about. The cross looks you directly in the eyes and says, you are not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Jesus is, though. Jesus says, I'm good enough. See, but in sin, in the flesh, you just keep thinking, me, 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 me. That is a message of bondage. And the cross invites each one of us to come and die to self in order to clear the way for the love of God in Christ to flood you. And when that happens, listen, on no account of your own, not because you're good enough, not because, G, not because you know, you, you get close enough to Jesus or his people, on no account of your own, but on the account of the life that Jesus lived, you are good. You see, when I was 19, I trusted Christ. And what God did is he broke the power of sin in my life. I, I just, I remember a, a man was on an airplane, gave my dad a copy of Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter. And I read that book. I came to the last chapter that said he changed my life. I knew that God hadn't changed my life. I knew the message of the gospel. I thought maybe that I, I needed to, to be better so that God would at least accept me so that I could at least earn his favor. I knew there was no way I could do that. I closed the book and I just said, God, have mercy on my soul. God, awaken me from, from my heart. You awaken my heart. And he, he, he tore the bondage of sin in my life. So I think this is, gosh, this is, Kurt, it was really hard for you. This is, what's wrong with you? This is really easy, <laughs> right? Stay here. Feel better? All right. Paul says this, Romans, Romans 6. Paul says this, thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which 
you were committed. So you're right, you were once a slave to sin, but now you become obedient from the heart to another master, to Jesus Christ. And unless you have made that heartfelt decision of repentance and trust Christ's work on the cross, then, then in your life, nothing has changed. I just appeal to you, God doesn't need you trying any harder. He needs you, he wants you to come with open hands to him, to the cross. I said it this week, I said it this way last week, no transformation without regeneration. There's no transformation in life without regeneration. But if you have, if you've come to him in that way, then you can run that race that's marked out for you. You can actually, listen, you can actually do the things that God is asking you to do, not to be accepted, not to be loved. God has already accepted you. When he forgives you, he forgives you completely. Can you improve on 100% forgiven? No. Right? He, 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 you do it instead as an act of obedience to Christ because you, 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 man, you experience freedom. And what holiness is is just more and more freedom. And, and we saw this is God's will for you, right? Your sanctification. This is the path that God has, has you on. But, Kurt, there's still an issue, right? What is it? Like, right. Right? I got it. You got it. She's got it. He's got it, right? Anyone who claims Jesus has it. It's this stickiness of sin in life. It's always there. It's ready to keep you ineffective, unproductive in your growth and maturity. The only difference now is what? For someone in Christ, you don't have to submit to it. You don't have to give into it. God has put his spirit inside of you. He's empowering you to do his will. And mile after mile, when you actively obey Jesus, this has less and less of a hold over you. It is hard work. There's stuff back here that you, just, you need to cooperate with God to get off. The, the more you work at it, listen, this is the reality, the more you're going to feel the lie the more you're, you're going to feel freedom, right? And so God wants to keep tearing this off the more you go. And I'll just leave you with this. This is, this is our glorification. This isn't in the notes, but man, thanks, Kurt. Thanks. You know, at some, at some point, God is going to establish the new heavens on the new earth where we don't need faith because we're going to see. He's going to restore the luster, the beautiful glory of humanity. Right? And so you run in such a way to get the prize. Well, what does that look like? So here, let me just put it this way. One truth you have to know, two ways you can apply it. What does it look like to run in such a way to get the prize in your life if you know Jesus one truth you have to know, two ways you can apply it. One truth you have to see in Scripture. This is, you have to understand this. And, and um, sorry, one powerful way. I'm trying to shorten the message. I'll just do one way you can, you can practice it. Here's the truth you need to see. First Timothy 4, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds 
promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Here's the truth you need to apply. You must train for godliness. The Greek word here for train is gymnasia. What, what word does that look like? Gymnasia. Yeah, exactly, gymnasium, right? This is where we get our word for gymnasium. That's a sweaty word, isn't it? That's an exercise word. Nobody, do you guys go to the gym to, and like do homework? <laughs> Maybe that's a wrong, wrong audience, huh? Um, right, gymnasia, train. This is an exercise word. You have to know, listen, when you read this, train yourself for godliness. Again, this is a command. It's an imperative. This is something that God says you must do in your life. Why? Why? It's God's goal for you. That's the answer. This is the path. If you're a Christ follower, God, God has you moving in this direction. Why train yourself? Why be active in obedience? Because a life of increasing holiness, this is the race that God's put before you in Jesus. If you aren't moving in this direction, year after year after year after year in your life, one would have to wonder if you've ever really turned from self and sin to Jesus. One would have to wonder. So, so if inside you're like, man, I, I want to train. I, I want to live for God's glory. I want to be transformed. I, I want to move in a risky direction towards, you know, wholeness, towards freedom, even though it isn't popular. I might lose friends by training for godliness. I might be ridiculed and made fun of for training for godliness. But, you know, the more I train, the more I feel alive, the healthier I feel, the more healthy my relationships are. And, and, and I want others to know what Jesus has done for me. If you want this, then here's a habit you just have to pick up. Here, this, this is the habit you need to pick up. you got to start with this. I can't think of anything else that will help you be active in obedience than this. If you do this, if you get in the gym, so to speak, even this week and start training, I can't think of any better training habit and regimen for you. It is this. Memorize and meditate on God's word. See, when you put Jesus first in your life and you begin to renew your mind, what we talked about last week, Romans 12.1 and 12.2, and you begin to see this transformation, you want this transformation through the renewing of your mind, it happens because you're beginning to filter life through the one who authored your very life. And if you're going to train yourself for godliness so that you can run the race marked out for you, then you just need to take God's word you need to take him at his word and take his word and hide it in your heart and store it up in here. Why? You know, Mike, help me see why. Well, Jesus said this. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You see, in the race marked out for you, there is one true north. God's word is true north. It's the heart of your training in godliness. It will guide you towards renewing your mind and toward holiness and sanctification, which means that it's that being set apart for, for good things in your life. And God's word lasts forever. And it is God's word that supplies the spiritual power for life and transformation of godliness. So you come to his word and, and God wants to give you faith for more faith, Romans 1.17 says. 
And so in Psalm 119, the psalmist writes this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to live your way, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I memorized this a long time ago. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But if you are tempted, he's going to provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Oh, man, it's been so helpful for me. Again, Paul's command to Timothy is this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. That's the imperative, it's a command. Maybe he could have said it this way, right? He could have said, listen, talk is cheap, Timothy. Godliness will cost you something. Talk is cheap. Get training. Godliness is going to cost you something, but it's a good cost to take. Get in the gym. You know, get in the gym, so to speak. Man, if you want to have one habit, you get in the gym and you get in God's word and, and you start to just memorize it and meditate on it. So let me give you a couple pro tips how you can do this. You just, all you need, you, if you're reading and you come across a, a, a verse and you notice it and God starts to speak it to you and God tells you to go and hide that verse in your heart, go ahead and write out that verse on a note card five times. Just take that verse and just put it on a note card and write it out just five times. Why five? Why not? You'll remember it. <laughs> okay, this is a pro tip. And you might be sitting here going, I, you know, I'm just, I'm not good at, I'm not good at remembering things. Right, you may think, I'm just not, I don't have a good memory. Listen, if I came, if I, if I paid you $1,000 to memorize one verse, suddenly you all will have astonishing memories, Right? Listen, and God's word is way more valuable than a thousand buckaroos, okay? Write it out five times, and when you're done, here's pro tip number two, okay? Alternate emphasizing each word. Alternate emphasizing each word. We're going to use John 11.35 as an example. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live Right? Pause. So we're talking about memorizing meditation. This is what I do. Twenty-five. <laughs> no, that's my that's my fault. Jesus wept. Ready? Jesus wept. Who wept? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Oh my gosh, he cried. Who did he cry for? Lazarus. Oh my gosh, he's Jesus has emotions. I have emotions. So if you guys want the simplest verse to memorize, memorize 35. But if you want to know who the resurrection and the life is, memorize verse 25, which says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Are we, we getting that? She's doing awesome. All right, right? So you go, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Who said it? Jesus did. Man, Jesus, you said this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus said he speaks. Jesus speaks to me. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection life. You guys get this, right? To, this is to me. This is a message for me. It said it to her. He probably saying it to, to my roommate. Jesus said to her. Jesus communicates with her personally, with me personally. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the, it's, Jesus said, I am, it's me. I, didn't, I need to look nowhere else. And I'll just have, this is what I did in college. I just had a note card, or just a flip verse. And I would just do this over and over. Jesus said to her, I am. Oh, man, I am. Man, it is, he's saying, he, this, is, this is who the resurrection and the life is. Right? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh my gosh, there is no one else where resurrection and life. Oh my goodness, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Oh my gosh, do I need their dead places in my life to be resurrected? Thinking about the resurrection, Lord, when that comes, you're going to come and you're going to make me whole. Not only that, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and, wait, there's more. Oh my goodness, and the life. He's talking, he's not talking about eternal life. He just talked about resurrection life. He's talking about life today. Jesus, you came to bring me life today. Though, whoever yet die believes me. You know, just hit those words and just pause and just let them soak in your life. And I'll tell you, I was super proud because I asked a couple of you, you know, I said, no, Romans 12, 1, no cheesecake, N-O, Romans 12, 1, no cheesecake for you. Some of you said, that's the first verse I ever memorized. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So get in the gym. You know, this is, this is the training part. This is the working out part. You know, this, we just start out with just one verse this week. Start out with one verse this week. I don't know what just happened. Can you see me all? I'm just going to keep going. All right. Why do I want you to do this? Why? Because life is hard. Right? I can probably see you all better than you can see me. Can you see me? Can you see me? All right. Life is hard. Are you, are you guys like me at all? I'm probably the only one here who, I'm pretty sure, I'm probably the only one here who's experienced difficulty and trials and pain. I'm the only one, right? Wait, you serious? You, you, got, you guys too? It, ever just wanted to stop? Then don't miss this. Don't miss this part. God desires us to walk a, a life of transformation. And sometimes those things that come into our lives, even though we don't want it, right? Romans 8 says that, that God works all good. All, God works all things for the good of those who love me, who are called according to his purpose. He's not the author of evil. He's not the author of sin. But he will take that and he will make it be for good for your training. So you would hold on to him. And he's not content for, for you to stay where you are. And, you know, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, some of you are going to come to this, this crossroads. 
right, some difficulty in your life, and you are going to stand there, and you're going to ask, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Now, author Henry Blackaby, he says it this way, really simply. He says, God always brings you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. God always brings you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action, always. The starting point of following Jesus is turning away from self and turning to him, letting him define you. Letting, you know, it's not about perception. Remember, we talked about the first week. It's not about perception and outward appearances. It's about our identity. It's about having our heart be transformed and changed, right? You know you've begun to move into the presence of God when you're just captivated and captured by his holiness. And, and you respond to him with absolute humility. And sin is repented of and Jesus is trusted and, you know, showed you, you know, up here with Kurt, that the bondage of sin is broken, and and you just leap on that altar, a living sacrifice. You put Jesus first in your life, and then you start training for godliness. This is the, this is that awesome, set-apart, beautiful life that God has for you. That's the direction of, 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 of holiness and sanctification, and then God always brings you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action, so let's break that down. Because God loves you, in order to transform you, he brings you to a crisis. Crisis, these are decision points. These are times in your life where you have to choose. So what crisis and what decisions right now that you are facing, you, what, which ones right now seem difficult? Are they coming to mind? It's a crisis of belief. Belief. Well, what is that? Well, what do you know to be true? When God tells you that he, what he wants to do through you, when God gives you a picture, hey, listen, this is what I want to do through you, you are standing at an obstacle of belief. Right? When God says, I want to make you a light to your friends so that they would know me, I want you to share the gospel with them. I want you to invite Kevin to corner. You know, for me, I remember God calling me into missions, calling me to go on staff with the, this church, and I remember going, really? Me? I, I, I don't know anybody to ask for support. I didn't grow up in the church. I can't raise support. God, I believe you'll raise his support. I just stood at that crossroad struggling that God would raise my financial support to do this. It's a crisis of belief that requires faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, faith isn't about my effort. It's, not, it's based on God's power. The power of God is this. Listen, God raised Christ from the dead. That is the power of God in you. Faith is not a concept, an idea. Faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if what you think God is calling you to do is something that you can do, it won't require any faith on your part. It it won't. You You will not see the power of God in your life. Why? Because you don't need him. But listen, God is calling He's calling me, he's calling us at this moment in this place to to imagine only something that he can do. And if God calls you to trust Jesus for something bigger than you and you move toward that, watch out. You know, in my own life, I don't want to limit, 
I don't want the limit of seeing what I can do. If the world gets to see or experience the power of Mike, trust me, totally unimpressive. I want to see what God can do in my life. I want to see that. I want that for me. I want that for my wife. I want that for my kids. I want that for Kurt. I want that for all of you. And when you move in that direction, when God moves you to trusting Jesus and his goodness, that's action. And at every crisis of belief is this. How I live my life is the testimony of what I believe about God. How I live my life is a testimony of what I believe about God. And so this morning you came in here, man, you've got some points of decision that you need to make. There's some crisis maybe happening in your life. How are you responding to that? How do you want to respond? So we're talking about this great potential in your life, that this is a season of great potential. You know, get training, put in the hard work right now. You won't regret it. You run with perseverance. You keep going that race that's marked out for you. Why? Because godliness is provocative. For those whose lives are being transformed by Jesus, you will be, listen, you will be a refuge for people who have just been beat up by the world. They will go, you have something that I want can't find it out here this space this place people will come in and go there are transformed people living in transformed community this place would be a magnetic draw as people peer in because what they are hungering for is real and authentic relationships and what we will do is point them only to the grace of God and Jesus that has changed us because we've worked so hard at obeying him And so right now, you have that moment right now to kind of pause as we go into a time of communion. You have a moment to stand boldly knowing that if you are in Christ, man, your sin is gone. And, and communion is a very tangible reminder. I love that God gives us these very tasty, tangible ways of experiencing grace. That you pick up the bread and Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. And you, 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 you taste it. You pick it up and you go, Jesus, I believe your body was broken for me. Likewise, the, the cup, he said, is, a, is the blood that was shed. Hebrews 9.27 says, without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus said it was poured out for all of you you might live a new covenant with me that there might be forgiveness of sin his body is broken his blood was spilled why so that I wouldn't have to pay the price and my life can be redeemed and so if you're sitting here and you're like I don't think I've ever really I don't believe that Jesus died for me then this isn't for you it, it just makes sense that unless you can say Jesus your body was broken for me your blood was spilled I'm so grateful then, then just let communion just be here as it is. But if that describes you, then you're welcome to come and partake. And the, myself and my co-pastor Matt and staff, corner leaders will be out on the sides. And if you want us to pray for you, we would love to pray for you. If there's any need in your life, just let us, just, let us just approach God's throne. And so why don't you guys stand with me as I close in prayer.
and all of the bread is gluten-free. Just make that special announcement. And nut-free, right? Okay, good. Lord, there is a race that's marked out for us. And, and maybe my friends don't know this, this picture of Eustace that C.S. Lewis writes about, that he's this boy in dragon skin. And as he is running towards the shore, this, the layers just pull off and off and off. And, and he just gets wounded and he's naked and he's raw, but he becomes a boy not in his sin. He becomes who he was meant to be. And Lord, I just picture, God, that you desire this, this, this us to experience the profound depth of grace that changes us, that we just say, praise Jesus. And Lord, my unending prayer is that all who are standing here with me would be present when you come again in the fullness of your glory to judge the living and the dead. My unending prayer. Happening at your convenience. You guys are welcome to partake in communion.